0: Brenda said that it's, it's because she wanted the brown mud covered that it snowed today. I think it's because when I went to my favorite resale shop over the weekend looking for something, I, t- I try not to go nuts when I'm going to speak someplace and, and buy a bunch of stuff, but I... Um I saw this pair of white pants, (laughs) and I thought, I knew it was a risk, this is Duluth, this is April, but I thought, I can't take it anymore, (laughs) come on spring, so I got the white pants and I wore the white pants, (laughs) and it'll melt, it will, I believe, (laughs) it will stop snowing. Although I was very heartened. Did you guys see the grass out there in the little boxes? Wow, that was genius. <laughs> that was green grass, yes. Oh, it's, it has been like this in Chicago, too. Um, it's, it's been. And, and we had this. I, I felt for the HLI students because I know they got here and it started snowing and basically hasn't stopped. I think they've, I've forgotten how many months they've been here, but somebody told me all but one of them, it snowed. So, which is, if it snows next week, (laughs) then (laughs) I think they'll be going 100%. And we, we have an intern with us who came from England, and she came in January, and she's leaving in July. And I thought, with her luck, she'll get five months of winter, one week of spring and the mosquitoes, <laughs> and that will be her impression of America. So, but I was I was anticipating with great joy being with you all. Um, I remember hosting the women who are leading. I've been part of these gatherings at national conferences and regional conferences, you know, and I'm so aware of the hard work that you do. It's gonna bang, isn't it? (laughs) Well, we'll see. Um, Dangly earrings and microphones. Um, And yes, so aware of the hard work that you do and what it means to have a session when you don't have to be thinking on two tracks you know trying to get for yourself but also being aware of the women who've come with you um, if it's a women's event and you know what they need how they're going to be hearing things how they're doing all that stuff so my encouragement to you tonight is to is to indeed um take everything that god's handing out tonight relax nobody's expecting anything of you except that you be loved that you be encouraged that you get touched and if it's been a long day that you get a good nap so (laughs) um for those of you who don't know me, Steve and I pastor the vineyard in Evanston, Illinois, um, right on the, the border between, right on the northern border of the city proper. Um, Evan you the only way you can tell, really, that you've gone from Chicago to Evanston is that the street lights change from these very utilitarian, you know, kind of orangey things to these quaint little, little Victorian lamp things and and they've got more trees other than that you can't tell that you've changed towns but that's where we are Um, there are about 1300 of us that gather on a sunday morning we look a lot like the city that we live in we speak over 60 different languages in our church Um, and not all at the same time (laughs) but (laughs) But every few years we, um, because we have communion every week, we have the communion scripture read by somebody in their first language. And it'll take us, we started at the, we started in March and it'll take us to the beginning of September, Labor Day, to get through. And those are just the people who who feel comfortable getting up on stage and reading. So it's very fun. It's a very fun church to pastor and we're really blessed. Most of us live in the tight packed city, though a few of us have a little more space and quiet around us. A few of us are, have a fair amount of money and a few of us live in shelters. Some of us are pretty highly educated thanks to Chicago's abundance of institutions of higher learning. But most of us are ordinary everyday people who sometimes struggle to make ends meet and sometimes see the money run out before the month does. And we have three grown children. Our son-in-law Jeremy's grandparents came here from Ireland and settled in the fertile farmland of Western Illinois. My daughter-in-law Lily's parents came from Cartagena, Colombia. in search of a better life. And my youngest son, ever the adventurer, moved all the way out to Oregon for college and met and married a girl who grew up by the ocean in the tiny town of Tillamook, which is best known for its cheese factory. People come from miles to take the tour. And I happen to have pictures of my four beautiful grandchildren Zeke is the oldest, followed by Juniper, followed by Emma, followed by Rose, who was just born on Christmas Eve, so she's our little Christmas Rose, and there's another one coming at the end of August. I'm quite a besotted grandmother. It's very fun. We're going to take a lake vacation. In June and they'll all be running around and crawling around together that makes my heart very happy so that's my tribe and I'll be enjoying seeing pictures of yours a few weeks ago I had one of those Sundays that made me laugh I got to church an hour before the first service I came a little early because both Steve and our executive pastor Bill and his wife Cheryl who's also on staff were out of town. As soon as I arrived, I felt like I had stepped on a moving sidewalk gone berserk. I put out the extra towels for the baptisms because someone always forgets theirs. I put out the laundry basket in the hall to capture the wet ones so I don't try to break into the men's room finding them later. I put out the jar of gluten-free wafers on the stage for communion. I located and put out the morning programs. I stopped and talked to Kathy, the senior citizen who uses a wheelchair as cerebral palsy and age start to slow her down. Kathy lived on the streets for a long time, but now she's at home with us. I talked to Randy, the guy who had epilepsy for so many years that he had to wear a helmet all the time. Except a few years ago, he got prayer at a conference and Jesus healed his brain so much that his doctor finally told him the helmet was unnecessary as long as he uses his cane to keep him steady. The <laughs> I know! <laughs> the only lingering effect is that Randy takes every conversation very slowly. So when you meet up with Randy, I know that I have to allot five minutes to just stand still no matter how much of the list is left to do. Then zip. Get more mints for the Welcome Center. Set up an appointment to pray for somebody. The countdown video is now ticking down five minutes. Where's the anointing oil for the baptismal candidates? Where's the person who's going to read the communion scripture in Cambodian? Finally, I hear the music start, and I stand in the middle of my office and breathe until I hear our admin pastor say, you know, I don't think there's actually a pastor in the sanctuary anywhere. (laughs) Oops. So I grab my name tag and I run down the hall and I skid to a stop and I enter the room in a dignified way. (laughs) And I go and sit up in the front where the pastors usually sit. I can feel the room relax perceptibly, and I think to myself, however crazy and insecure I may be feeling right now, for these people in this place, they are looking at me, and for them, a pastor is now in the room, and the wheels are on the bus. That little scene neatly encapsulates for me a truth about leadership over the long arc of a lifetime. You will never get done taking out the trash on the one hand, and you will have moments on the other hand when you realize that you are the pastor in the room. And each of those diametric opposites is equally true. I'm going to attempt tonight to describe a few things I've learned about how to stay in this crazy, wonderful, exhilarating, hard partnership with Jesus for a lifetime. I'm mostly going to tell stories. I hope you don't mind. I am now a grandmother in the movement, even though I'm two generations close to it, younger than Carol Wimber, and grannies tell stories. So. Sometimes when you've driven all day, stories are also easier to listen to. When I was praying about this talk, God gave me three pictures. Now, sometimes people give me prophetic words where they just describe this picture and then smile lovingly at me. And I'm thinking, what the heck? (laughs) I have absolutely no idea what it means. So I'm trying, I try not to do that to other people, but this one is kind of obvious. I saw a woman of no particular age or ethnicity, so clearly representative of all of us, and she was kind of see-through, so I could see what was inside, but not physically like that gross but fascinating see-through woman you ran into in biology class at some point in your life. See through as I as in I could see what Jesus was putting into her. First, I saw that Jesus was dropping a carpenter's plumb line down through her. And I have a picture of a carpenter's plumb line. Very handy for keeping things straight and true. Second, I saw Jesus pouring cool, clear water through over her head but actually into her head washing through her whole body you know how sometimes you get that feeling when it's a really hot summer day and somebody gives you a drink of water and you take a big gulp and you could almost feel it rushing through your digestive system and it almost feels cold on your fingers and toes it's kind of like that that refreshing And third, and this was the funny one, Jesus had a big eraser and a pencil. And periodically, he would erase and redraw the edges of the woman's body, not because he didn't like it, but because he was making her capable of different things at different times. The plumb line is a picture of a steady, non-anxious conviction about what is true that comes from spending so much time in God's word, in company with the Holy Spirit, that we carry it in our hearts. We pray out of it and we live in the light of it. The scripture which we turn into song, which we memorize, the word with which we struggle, the word that we work with until we have solid convictions that allow us to lead and live in a non-anxious way instead of wobbly convictions that trigger us to attack or withdraw. The water speaks of our intimate connection with Jesus. Our faces upturned to him, him smiling down on us as he fills us up again and again. There's such hope in the abundance of that pouring. It's as personal and individual to you as a mother bathing her child. And at the same time, it's available to anyone who will come to him for it. And the eraser the eraser speaks of flexibility, of the outline that defines what we're doing at any given time, being drawn and redrawn by Jesus to suit the next good work that he's prepared for us to walk in. Sometimes Jesus draws us with feet that go as fast as sprinters' feet. Then all of a sudden we feel the pressure of his eraser and the strokes of the lead of the pencil, and he draws our outline another way, slowed down, perhaps to a walk as slow as a dawdling toddler or a grandparent using a walker. And then he erases again, and we find ourselves with a suitcase in our hand and marching orders to go on a mission. And sometimes we get to our destination, and then to our surprise, the eraser comes out again. And we find ourselves in farming clothes with a plow and a field full of rocks that have to be removed. Hey, wait, where's my suitcase? Where's my adventure? Flexibility. Living into the place and purpose that we're in now. Mindful that Jesus gets to refit us for a different spot in his plan anytime he wants. And choosing to have yes, Lord, be the default answer in our hearts. So let's talk about that plumb line first, and you've seen all my pictures, but if you want, you can put the plumb line back up (laughs) for a minute just for nuts. This was, God bless these folks, they did it for me at the last minute, I discovered you can't learn PowerPoint in five minutes (laughs) the day you arrive. Talking about the plumb line, I want to use something common to most of us in this room, Facebook. Now, I don't know about you, but I often have the experience of opening Facebook intending to just spend five minutes. (laughs) And emerging 90 minutes later, having opened a dozen links, watched a TED talk. Listen to a song on YouTube or perhaps a video of someone's cat or baby doing something impossibly cute. I have read eight things to do, ten things to never do, twenty non-negotiables for cooking a casserole or giving a sermon. I have read enough inspirational blog content to stuff a turkey. I have listened virtually to a bunch of people I know or maybe don't know arguing with increasing heat about something or other until I suspect a few relationships won't survive it. My head emerges stuffed. and My heart has been tugged, confused, and sometimes broken. Facebook is a microcosm of the confusing world around us. Even if you bid its alluring blue pages adieu and step away from the electronic hysteria, we still live in a post-Christian world a lot like Rome in the day of the first church with its nasty politics, its violence, its many gods and philosophies, and within the church big C, all kinds of disputes and disagreements and some pretty heartbreaking failures of leadership. So you and I need this. We need our plumb line because we and the people who are following us are going to be pulled and tugged and scared and confused, and we have to be steeped in the whole counsel of Scripture, not just proof texts, and help other people learn to find the plumb line too. One of the most useful things I ever encountered in this regard was something passed on to me by a friend who'd come to faith in college as part of a ministry called Navigators. Any Navigators in the room? Uh Uh-huh, at least one, maybe two. Good, good organization. The Navigators are very big on scripture. They were some of the first ones in the modern era to teach a systematic way to memorize a lot of scriptures so that you had it hidden in your heart. The bit that I found really useful was that they were also very big on believers developing core convictions that we think through in an organized way with the unshakable word of God at its center supported by but not dependent on what scholars and commentators and Facebook say. I've found this hugely helpful, and here's why. As this era goes on, we are going to be outed more and more as the peculiar people we really are as believers. Increasingly, the way we live our lives is going to look odd, to the culture around us, and that creates pressure. We can feel it. It can make us anxious or defensive, or if we have settled convictions, it can open up opportunities to be major influencers, like Esther in Persia or Daniel in Babylon. And amazing, powerful things can happen when we have that plumb line running down through us that doesn't get all whacked out by whatever the prevailing positive and negative passions of the culture happen to be about a month ago i was talking to the woman who cuts my hair right about the time the arizona legislature voted to ban gay marriage now i love my neighborhood I love being able to walk out my front door and do all my errands on foot and shop and get my hair cut in places that are almost all locally owned and operated. It is also a neighborhood with a pretty high percentage of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered residents. We own homes, run businesses, contribute to community causes side by side they are my neighbors they are not nameless faceless representatives of a political football i know them we're in each other's lives so anna is a 30-something lesbian in a long-term relationship and i've known her for about three years so we talk about everything my kids her art our church her questions. Anna was reeling off some of the things she'd heard in the news reports, including some really hateful comments made by people who unfortunately started their sentences with, well, I'm a Christian, and we think that those perverts should go fill in the blank. Then Anna looked in the mirror at me and said, Cindy, I know you are a pastor. What do you think of all this? At that moment... I could think of a dozen things I thought, including never argue with a person who has a pair of sharp scissors an inch (laughs) from your brain. But I was never so glad that I had a plumb line, that I had developed a set of core convictions about how Jesus wanted me to represent him in my environment and how he wanted me to approach conversations just like this one. I said, Anna, the Jesus I know never went along with the rock throwers. He touched and healed. Now, I can show you all the places in the Bible where he did those things. The Jesus that I follow loves you. And yes, he had things to say, about how we act on our sexuality that are strong and challenging and that every person who follows him has to struggle with and take seriously because we believe he's God. But he didn't act hatefully and he doesn't call his followers to act like that either. Anna visibly relaxed. I'm glad to know that she said glad to know there's more than one story I'm glad I know you then she said do you think if I visited your church I'd be welcome I am probably the only Christ follower that Anna knows she asks the hard questions and I am so glad she does my plumb line says to always show her jesus because my conviction is that jesus really really loves anna and i believe he's fully capable of addressing her choices about her sexuality in a way that is so perfect and so smart and so effective that it will blow me away as i line up not with the culture but with the plumb line As I develop my convictions, I am less anxious and more able to hear Jesus in moments like that. And so I get to be with the Annas of the world because they let me in. Next, that cool, clear water from Jesus. Over the years, and Steve and I have been pastoring for more than 35 of them, I've learned that leaders who last have found ways to disengage from whatever is pressing on them and engage with Jesus so they can experience once again the truth that Jesus meant it when he said, I will always be with you. I will never forsake you having regular time to sit with jesus and experience his living presence not his theoretical presence is like that cool water pouring down over our heads into the very fiber of our being as a leader i find that this most crucial of things is the hardest to prioritize until i am at the end of how it is with you but if I sit down for five minutes with Jesus and up pops well a woman in my small group aptly calls it monkey brain (laughs) my mind scampers from this thought to that I talk to myself about this problem trying on solutions I open my journal to write a prayer and in my brain a to-do list pops up it's uncanny And if there is something unresolved, a conflict or sin or trauma, and who doesn't have at least one of those in their closet? The enemy has me because he can get me off in a corner where the only voices I hear are his and my own talking in circles. And he is a liar. He can get you so confused and discouraged you can't think straight. It's enough to make you never choose to sit down and be quiet and try to listen to Jesus again, which is a nifty little strategy of his, you'll have to admit. But our bodies, souls, and minds were made by Jesus for relationship with him. And he actually designed our brains in this really cool way that makes that easier. I have an acquaintance in Evanston, a a psychiatrist named Dr. Carl Lehman, who's also a Christian. He spent many years helping people who have experienced trauma at some point in life and as a result have shut down on the inside, knowing things about God but not being able to experience his real-time presence in their lives, which also screws up their personal relationships. In his research, Dr. Lehman has found that in the pathways of nerves in our brain, there are some that are dedicated to making relational connections, and unresolved trauma can knock them offline. But interestingly, he found that if a person can call to mind a memory of a time when they experienced a real connection with Jesus... And if they can spend some time thinking about that memory, kind of walking around in it and then speaking out loud their appreciation for the things they notice, those circuits start popping back online. He's been able to kind of wire people up so he can actually watch this happening. It's not just theory. He's been able to see it happening. And that person becomes able to have a good, interactive contact, conversation with Jesus and begin to experience some relief from their pain. God also designed these circuits to help us perceive that he is with us now and not just in the memory which opens us up to receive the good things he has for us. So that means that when those circuits are offline and we feel like God isn't with us and doesn't like us and maybe is against us, it is possible to get those circuits back on. And one easy way is to do this. We can take a minute and ask God to bring to our remembrance a time when we were particularly aware of his presence with us. This is very biblical. If you think back through the Old Testament stories that you know, God's constantly saying that. You know, Keep these things in remembrance. Repeat this, these stories. Stack these stones next to the Jordan River so you can remember what I did here. And tell your children the story. Remember and don't forget. Celebrate the feast so you remember on the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I was with you, and I led you. I was with you then, and I'm with you now. So then after we've thought of such a time, we can spend some minutes paying attention to the details of that memory because that just that, that just brings back more parts of it that we might have forgotten. And then out loud, if possible, we can start appreciating Jesus for those things. Jesus, I appreciate how you showed up in the room when I was six and scared of the dark. I appreciate that you didn't laugh at me, that you took me seriously. I appreciate how you made me feel safe. I appreciate that you got down on the floor and looked under the bed for me. As you do that, you'll be able to almost feel feel those relational circuits pop back on in your head, and it makes it much, much easier to experience him being with you right now in this present time. About five years ago, we sold the house where we'd raised our children and moved into a condo. Then my 90-year-old mom came to live with us. At that time, I was super busy with church planting and women in ministry stuff, as well as our church. Then our only daughter got married. Then our middle son moved back home after college and started trying to find a job right as the recession hit. Then our youngest son graduated and got married. Then my mother had a series of mini strokes that caused her to lose her conversational ability. So now all the conversations were one way. And it also caused her to lose her control of her bodily functions and the use of her legs. So the amount of personal care she needed became much greater. Though I will say she was alert and twinkly right to the end. Then the grandchildren started arriving, and I noticed that I wasn't keeping up emotionally any longer. If you look at that list of things that doctors say cause stress, both positive and negative things, but they all still cause stress, and I've forgotten how many, if you check off, then you are experiencing serious stress. I shot way over the top of that list. I had more checks than blanks. Somewhere in there, my circuits started to go offline. I knew the right things to say, but there was no feeling at all. I knew the right things to feel, but I couldn't feel them. And then when I was already in trouble, in one 48-hour period, Steve and I handed off all of our jobs with the vineyard nationally And my mom died while we were at that meeting, and I went into a deep, dark hole. I did all the things that I knew to begin climbing out. I took a sabbatical. I took my time grieving my mom's death. I stayed in the word. I spent time with trusted friends. I actively fought the temptation to blame myself or anyone else. I worked hard to bless, and it did get better. It does get better. But remember what Dr. Lehman says about trauma? It takes those circuits offline. So I knew in my head that if I could get to Jesus, I could get the comfort I needed, but I could no more get there by myself than I could fly. I needed friends. And that's the other thing about this. You need friends. Ladies, if you lead, you need some people around you. you don't, they don't, it doesn't have to be a ton of them, but you need some people around you that can function as your circle of belonging. People you don't have to lead. People who can talk and listen. People who can pray People who will be real with you and with whom you can be real. So I made my plan. I have two such friends. Their names are Cheryl and 80. We, Cheryl and I drove from Evanston across the prairie to Rock Falls, which has nothing much to a Deer town, but it's mostly there because it's halfway between chicago and iowa city and 80 came the rest of the way it does have a really nice canal that they built and a year later the railroad got built and the canal was useless so but it has a nice walking trail i will say that so we got together and we did what we do we talked we laughed we caught up on each other's lives Uh, we had a nice dinner and we prayed for each other and as they quietly prayed for me i was able to remember a time when i was particularly aware of jesus being with me it was the evening when i gave my life to him as a matter of fact and there were lots of details in that memory that I was able to recall and a lot that I could s- express appreciation to him for. And as I did, I began to feel connected to him again in a way that I hadn't been able to access since all this stuff started tumbling down on me. I was able to recognize that he was with me and that he wanted to be with me. And then I felt like I could do what the boy Samuel did and say to him, is there anything you want to show me? Speak, Lord, because your servant is here to listen. Then in my mind's eye, I could see Jesus take my hand and walk back with me through those hard, hard moments. The hand-off meetings where I had just the odd experience of sort of watching the everything I'd known for the last 20 years just kind of march on without me, getting the call in the hotel room in the middle of the night that my mom had died, flying back, going to the funeral home, and seeing her body, which had been feeble but still full of life when I left. then at the funeral, and at the cemetery. And at each point, Cheryl prompted me to ask, "Jesus, show me where you are." And each time when I looked, I could see him with me. I could see the love on his face. I could see the tears running down his cheeks. I could feel his arms around me, holding me for as long as I needed to be held. I could see him pick my mother up and say, It's okay, Cindy. I've got her. So I was experiencing it all again, but this time Jesus was there. And with his presence came healing and comfort, finally. My friends were there as witnesses as I described to them what was happening, you know, with my eyes closed. And they were there as coaches who could always take me back to that first secure memory if I started to get stuck. I'm so grateful to Jesus. I'm so grateful as well that he gave me sisters to walk alongside me in this process of healing. So I say to you, go to Jesus regularly for that cool, clear water. Do it all your life. Do it as often as you need to. There is no such thing as you are taking too much. Leave some for somebody else. Now, here comes the funny part of the picture, where your edges get erased and redrawn periodically. Phil Strout recommended a book a few years ago called Heroic Leadership, from which title our beloved HLI was named. It's about how the Jesuit order went about forming groups of leaders that for centuries went all over the world, in contrast to most most of the other religious orders, which tended more toward withdrawing or going someplace and camping. I won't repeat all the points of the book here, but you... But if you haven't read it, it's well worth getting. One of the big points to me is how the Jesuits taught their leaders to let the main thing be the main thing, but be flexible on how it looks, adapting and flexing to take advantage of opportunities that many other people missed because they had to, well, change and adapt. As women who lead, we need to be clear about our call and message, but say a real yes to that, I'm just change in God's pocket, and he can spend me however he chooses thing that we're so fond of quoting. Now, most of you may have heard this story of mine, but it's a good story, and it illustrates the point. I grew up in a very old, very homogenous Connecticut town. I went to college at Carleton to get away from the homogeneity. Carleton is down south of the Twin Cities, about 60 minutes depending on how slow you drive. I went to Carlton and I met people who were Norwegian. Some of them went to St. Olaf. (laughs) They actually put their hair in curlers when they went to bed and didn't go to breakfast in their pajamas, as I did. I know, we're just hippies at Carlton. And that was diversity. After I graduated, I moved to Boston and lived and worked among my peers who were, yes, you guessed it, well-educated and white. So Steve and I got married, and a few years later, the church decided to send Bill and Cheryl and a team to move into a neighborhood to plant a church that was 80% Puerto Rican, Mexican, and Guatemalan, and 20% Appalachian white. And I was so happy to pray for them. You know where this is going, don't you? Only then their middle son got sick, and all of a sudden it was Steve and Cindy moving with the team. (laughs) We took field trips, and I walked around the neighborhood and was just appalled. Not only were there warning rat poison traps set in this alley, signs there were big fat old rats Waddling right past the rat traps in the alley in broad daylight. Fat ones. There were, I'd seen some old apartments in my time, but some of the housing stock was genuine vintage tenement. Everybody on the street looked scary to me. Everybody. I couldn't tell the difference between ordinary people and gangbangers, between ordinary teenage girls and prostitutes. I came home, burst into tears, threw myself across the bed, and yelled, God, I can't do this. There is nothing in me capable of doing this. I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. Help! As my sobs ebbed away in a very quiet and non-anxious voice, I heard God speak to my heart and say, if you let me do it, I will make you a truly cultured woman. I didn't know that that was an option. The definition of cultured that I had was not big enough to expand as wide as I needed to go to do what God had called me to do. I didn't know that God could take his eraser and fuzz those hard lines of class and race and privilege and make me flexible and adaptable, willing to learn another language so I could meet my neighbors halfway because they were trying so hard to learn English for my sake, to see the wonders and strengths of someone else's culture, to figure out how to gain Jesus a hearing in that place. But it's true. Jesus really can do it jesus is amazing i loved the five years we spent in that neighborhood planting that church i cried when we left for days it felt weird to be back in a really homogenous neighborhood again i didn't know what to do with myself here's the thing letting yourself see change as opportunity means always that you have to let go of the familiar and let God fuzzy the lines so that you can grab onto the next thing. And in the middle, it is often only the loss that you can feel and not the adventure. Flexibility is always like that. It's just that you get better at it as you recognize the steps. I'm not sure it ever gets faster. And I'm not sure it ever gets less painful. But it does help to have the confidence that there is a far side that you will reach and that there are adventures to be had on that far side if you can hang on. God is redrawing my outline again these days. What does it mean to be an elder, as Phil calls them, a sage? That sounds very cool. What does it mean to be a grandmother? I'm a real rookie at being a grandmother. To grandchildren, being a grandmother in a movement, what does that mean? What are the opportunities? What are the adventures to be had? What could it mean that I'm more available now to the women in our movement, to the men in our movement who are emerging as leaders, because I don't have any particular thing I'm responsible for. I know some things about being just changed in God's pocket as a 20-year-old or as a 30-year-old, but I know nothing about what it means as a 60-year-old, which is what I am now, or 70 or 80. What adventures await in my 80s or 90s if God gives me that much life? My mother used to say with deep conviction, getting old is not for sissies. (laughs) I want to have some Jesus-centered convictions about living my life all the way to the end of it. I'm working on those, but this I know and am convinced of, that his word is true and more precious to me than gold, that only Jesus can pour the pure water of his life into my inmost being by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I am more useful to him and enjoy life with him more with a full tank than with an empty one. And that for as long as I live, he gets to redraw the outlines of my life in whatever way seems good to him and whatever he calls good is good enough for me before we stand and do just see what god has for us i just want to take a minute and have you guys kind of set your stuff aside and and Do a little of that stuff I was talking about in the middle just for a few minutes because I just want to give you a a taste of this if it's not an experience that you've ever had before because I think Jesus is really strongly desirous of you knowing inside how much He wants to be with you. He likes being with you. You, just as you are, not you with a title, not you with a job description, just you. So I want you to just close your eyes. And I'm going to pray and just ask God, to help you to think of a time when you felt really connected to him. It doesn't have to be a big spectacular thing. um, Just something that is, that you know, that's true for you. Um, And if you are having a hard time with just locating that, something you can do is to just think of a time that you felt really alive. So Jesus, would you come and help your daughters now? Would you bring forward to their minds a time when they knew they As you begin to think of a time like that, take a minute and kind of walk around in that memory and notice the things that were part of it, the smells, the sounds, the look on Jesus' face. You do that because we're part of a big room full of people. Just begin, you know, to kind of just softly speak out the things you appreciate from that time. You know, you don't have to yell. You can whisper. You can just say it quietly inside your head if you'd rather. But just take a minute and just that conversation. With everything that you have shown each one of your beautiful daughters thank you how you're always with us as you were with us at that moment that we're remembering you're with us in the same way right now and You. You want us to be able to experience your touch, hear your voice, to not you can do what we just did anytime. You can weave it into your practice in the morning or the evening whenever you're spending time with Jesus. You can do that when you're sitting in the car waiting for the soccer game to be done. You know, it's and, the and there's one additional piece you can add to it anytime you want which is just you know as you're remembering and you're appreciating you can say Jesus is there anything you want to show me while we're here together and then just listen that's a very vineyard thing that's how we've learned to do ministry only we're always listening for each other during ministry aren't we but in that place you get to just listen for you and see what Jesus will say. I think you'll be really amazed. So Brenda, you want to come on up and how about if you all stand? And we'll see what else Jesus wants to do. Mm-hmm. This really lovely time just then. Mm-hmm.